Jennifer Clement, welcome to Fritanke Pod. Oh, thank you so much for inviting uh, me. It's great to have you here in Sweden. You are the president of the Pen International. Let's start there. What took you there? I mean, what kind of interests and engagements took you to that place? Well, I had always been uh, a member of Penn. I'm from Mexico City, mm. and I had always been a member of Mexico Penn. And then it happened that I was elected president of Mexico Penn. And really, for the three years, I really devoted myself only to the killing of journalists in Mexico, which continues to be a terrible problem to this day. Uh, when I speak to people in Turkey, and we know there are over 200 you know, writers and journalists in jail in Turkey, but in Mexico, they're in graves. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that was very important, and Penn had a huge uh, role in this, is that we really needed to change the law so that the killing of a journalist was a federal crime. It was at that time a state crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thanks to Penn, we were able to change it because in some cl- in some countries, and Mexico still is one, shame matters. And so we sort of shamed them into the fact that when it was just a, a state law, you would have the criminals themselves investigating their own crime. So th- I did that and other things to, for journalists. And I never, ever thought about being president of Penn International. It hadn't even crossed my mind. And then I was nominated by, I have to say, Penn Sweden. Really? Okay. Yes. And That's by, nice. Very nice. And then by Penn South Africa. Do you know, do you know David Lagerkrams, who is in the yes, book? Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah. He's I a friend him. of mine. Yes, yeah. I know a him. Very successful writer yeah, right now. Yeah, he's a wonderful writer. Yeah. And I have to say, he's, he's a very loyal Penn person. Yes, he is. Yeah. And so... Uh, well, it was a great honor because Ola Larnsson is the mm. is was the writer who presented me at Congress, and um, he's now on the board actually mm. of International Pen. So, and and you know, I think the organization was really ready to have a woman president. There had never been one. I'm well, the first. Six, you're the first. I'm yeah. the first. So that was a challenge that I that I thought. Well, I love the work, mm. and I'm very committed. And so it was. It's a great honor. It's a great honor, really. Yeah, um, you talked about Mexico City. You, how long did you live there? My whole life. I still live there. You, okay, you live there now. Yes. And did you were born there? No, but I moved there when I was six months old. Okay, so practically. Okay. So that's your home country. <laughs> yes, yes, that's very interesting. I actually have to tell you that about what is it? Almost twenty years ago, because of quite peculiar coincidences, I came to to know a man, his name is Herminio Blanco, and mm-hmm. he was Minister of Trade uh, in Mexico at that time. Do, do you know who yeah, that I is? Yeah, I know the name. I didn't ah. know him, though. Anyway, so, 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 and I remember so well, I, I visited Mexico City to give a speech, and he invited me out for dinner uh, at a restaurant, and it was very strange because the whole restaurant was empty. Uh, I, I didn't know it before, but I realized it was emptied for, because he was having dinner that of security reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, outside the restaurant were like 15 guards yeah. standing. <laughs> so I realized it's it's very dangerous to be a politician in Mexico, uh, I guess. And a journalist. And a journalist. <laughs> and that was my next question. Who are, who are those who kills journalists? Who are doing this in Mexico? Well, it's mostly... Uh, Journalists who are doing some sort of investigation into corrupt politicians who mm. very often uh, are 
in um, in in business or are um, members of mafia groups. Of uh-huh. course, these mafia groups, everybody thinks of them as drug cartels, but they're much more sophisticated. Mm. They they practice you know human trafficking and extortion, mm-hmm. uh, and so money laundering. They're involved in all kinds of crime. Mm-hmm. So I hope that trade minister was on the good side, but I mean, obviously, well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> okay, so okay, so it is basically investigating journalism. They get killed probably by mafia people. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. And are you saying that the state didn't investigate these murders? Well, in many cases, perhaps the person who had given the order for the murder was a mayor or a senator. Mm-hmm. Or even a governor of the state, and so then, if it were a federal, if it was a state crime, then it was the, the, those actors themselves investigating the crime. Mm-hmm. So it was very important to change that because mm. several states have been in, insanely corrupt. Yeah. So. Okay. Is the situation changing in Mexico now? No. I mean, even though it's symbolically, it's very important that the law was changed. It in practice, uh, there's still complete impunity. We have mm-hmm. over. 120 journalists killed, probably about another 20 disappeared, and nobody is in jail for having killed a journalist. Unbelievable. Aren't you taking a big risk doing this work, living in Mexico City? Well, it, it was it was quite risky when I was president of Penn Mexico and certain things did happen. Mm-hmm. And then it was risky when I was writing Prayers for the Stolen, a novel that is out yeah. in Sweden, which is about the... Um, stealing of little girls to mm. traffic them. So that work was also dangerous. And in fact, at one stage, I had to leave the country for really? several months. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but now I'm not doing that work in Mexico anymore. I'm much more traveling and out in the world and, and not doing that sort of local work. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. Um, okay, what, what, in what parts of the world besides Mexico do you think Pen is most important, the work of Pen right now in the current situation in the world? Well, sadly, you know, it, the world is in a bad moment. Yeah. And uh, just even in the last sort of four years that I've been president, for example, our case list has grown tremendously. And we, we study also what writers and, and journalists um, we can help support for asylum mm. and we're overwhelmed with the amount of people asking for asylum and looking for places of safety. So, I mean, what places? I mean, what con- you know, what region do you want to talk <laughs> about? I mean, certainly, yeah. you know, in South America, of course, we have um, Nicaragua, we have Honduras, we have mm. Venezuela, which are in very bad situation. Mm. Guatemala is also not not very good. Mexico has this terrible killing of the journalists. Mm-hmm. In the United States now, suddenly there's a absolutely um, illiberal, strange president mm. who, yeah. is, who is creating all kinds of problems in the world because mm. I think he's em- give, emboldening many other leaders. No. And you saw that the Mueller report did not say that he has been interfering, um, doing yeah, things with Russia. It's yeah, which, is, which sends a good message to a lot of people that you have two more years to do whatever you want to do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I was surprised. I thought it would come up with something else. Yeah. But, okay. I think, yeah, we're all a bit disappointed to see. Yeah, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. So anyway, of course, you know, you look at Russia... 
as mm. you know freedom of expression is in terrible shape a lot you know they have Oleg Stensov in in jail in Serbia mm. I mean and you think of Turkey and then you think of China mm. and you think of Hungary and it's you so think many of countries. so many parts of Africa I yeah. mean it's it's not a good time no it's not no it's not and I uh, another friend of mine, you probably know of Taslima Nasrin, Bangladeshi yes, of course, writer. Yeah. She, she's got citizenship in Sweden, so mm-hmm. she lived here for quite a long time, but she didn't. Now she's in India, um, but she's still threatened uh, all the time. And yes. uh, she was attacked on when she had some kind of speech a while ago, I know. And um, so, so, so what do you think? I mean, we talked before we started the pod about the situation in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. because I've been involved with that a bit, and you as well, um, the secular bloggers in Bangladesh. Um, do, you th- do, you see, do you see that Penn actually... I mean, Penn can help people who get out of the country, but can Penn do something for the situation in the country? like Bangladesh, I mean, get a change of policies. Do you think we can do that? I say we because I'm also a member of PEN. <laughs> well, you know, in PEN, actually, the way we sort of see ourselves as we work writer to writer to writer mm. to writer. So we don't actually see ourselves, even though, you know, it might happen, mm. like changing a law, which, which you know, the truth is in Mexico, Amnesty International was working on it and CPJ and Article 19, but... The thing about pen that can happen, that can be very, have kind of a very unusual strength, Mm -hmm. is that you can have suddenly like the intellectual gravitas of the world behind you. So you can have all the great writers, the presidents of all the centers, you know, people who have won the Nobel Peace Prize and the Literature Prize. And, you know, you can suddenly have that kind of body of, of strength behind you, which can be a very powerful thing and it can help things happen. I mean, I would say that. You know, the, the poet um, in Saudi Arabia, um, oh dear, um, mm. Badao, uh, uh, oh, his name. Uh, he, he was uh, having these lashes. The, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Badawi, uh, no. Uh, Rarf. Raf Badawi. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, that's it. <laughs> so too many names. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, he had a, uh, they were going to execute him. Yeah. And, and I really do think that the pressure from all the pen centers of all the world helped to remove that sentence mm. because you can, you can create this tremendous pressure. Yeah. But in pen, actually, we see ourselves as writer to writer. So we save one writer and then we save another one mm. and we save another one. And it tends to be a quite sort of personal individual thing. Uh, yeah. And of course, then we have this network of centers around the world where we're all working together for the same thing, which is a community where we can understand one one another and uh, help one another and hopefully bring peace to the world through this kind of networking of being in one world together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we, talk, when we look at the world as a whole and the tendencies and trends right now, uh, I want to hear if you agree with this, because I think there are quite a few different things happening. It is an anti-science uh, trend, it is a nationalist, nationalistic trend, and it's also a religious fundamentalistic trend in all the world religions, not only in Islam, because that's mm-hmm. what's mostly reported. Do, do you agree with that description? Yeah, I do agree, and I'm really glad that you say the anti-science, because mm. most people skip that. Mm, okay. And it's very, <laughs> science is very important to me, so I'm glad I've written that. a lot about science. You have? Yeah. I have a whole book of poems called Newton's Sailor. Really? About science, yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, I am. I find the divine in science. Mm. I so much agree with that. And I mean, I think it's so dangerous because you have, of course, you have the, um, what do you call it, environment, global warming skeptics, which is anti-science. But you also have the creationists in in America who, you know, they, they deny evolution. And uh, it's really dangerous because if you start to pick what you want to believe in based on your preferences instead of science, then you can do It can you can do anything. I mean, you can believe in anything, and the flat Earth society is growing in the world right now. So it's really crazy. What can we do about that? How can we promote reason and enlightenment? What do you think? Well, I don't know that I have the answer, mm. but I think that certainly education is very important. Uh, but it's a problem. Yeah, it's it's a big problem because it's it's sort of even sort of more perverse because it's almost as though if you're an intellectual and if you like to read and if you like to study um, and if you're seeking truth and if you're in and if you understand deeply that all is mystery in a way um, how can that be not cool yeah you know so there's there's a sense of that that all that's that is an either elitist Or, or something that is only accessible to some. So I think it's a complex thing. But I remember so well one of the things that really made me realize that, that Donald Trump could win the presidency was when he was um, in his private jet eating Kentucky fried chicken mm. out of a bucket. <laughs> you know, it, it's as though that is what one aspires to. Mm. And, and that that's... Uh, not a very good thing to aspire to. No, I completely agree. I mean, tell me, what what um, uh, what created your attitudes in these matters? I mean, fr- from your childhood, what, what kind of upbringing was it that created your attitudes and interests in these things? Well, I was, I was raised by a father who was very active in the civil rights movement. Aha. Uh-huh. So I was raised with, um, you know, uh, that I had to serve. We were all of the, the, we were raised in that way. So in fact, when the Kennedys went to Mexico, the people that received them in Mexico were my parents uh-huh. because my father had worked very closely uh, with them. It, 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 with with the, the President Kennedy yeah. in the 60s? And, and his brother, Robert, uh, yeah, okay. changing the laws. Um, my father was Jewish, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a very interesting book called We Blacks and Jews, because what people don't realize, there was tremendous anti-Semitism in the United States. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there were quotas for Jews at the universities and okay. things like this. And so the, the black communities and the Jewish communities were very, very close to each other. And Jewish intellectuals worked very hard for civil rights. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the case of my father. Can, do you do you do you think that anti-Semitism is growing again in yeah, America? Yeah, terrible everywhere in the whole world. Yeah, yeah. and that's usually a very uh, disturbing <coughs> indicator. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's weird actually because I mean I don't know if you agree, but I I I tend to see at least four different kinds of anti-Semitism. It's it's first the Christian Catholic fundamentalist anti-Semitism, and then and then it's the Islamist. Antisemitism, and then it's the right-wing antisemitism, and then it's the left-radical-wing antisemitism as well. And it seems like they have 
a little different reasons for being anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic, what do you call it? Semitic. Anti-Semitic, thank you. <laughs> but it's still it's sort of the same effect. It's still Did the same agree? animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think it's growing again? Well, I think it has to do with this whole moment that we're in of xenophobias and intolerance. And certainly, you know, people that know more about this than I do mm-hmm. say that, that usually when there is a rise of divisions and maybe even precursors to wars, mm. One of the indicators is always the rise of anti-Semitism. It tends mm. to be a very sort of obvious thing that happens. Mm. Uh, certainly, I mean, I don't agree with Netanyahu and his policies. I think it's horrible. Mm. I mean, I myself have been to visit Darin Tatur mm-hmm. and um, the Palestinian Center. So um, I wouldn't be able to support those kinds of things that mm. go on. But at the same time, We know that from history that it's a very dangerous moment. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, but uh, I want to go back to your childhood again. I mean, you were inspired by your father, you're saying. He was an activist and he taught you to to sort of uh, be interested in these things. Is, is that right? And your mother, what did she do? Well, my mother wasn't that kind of an activist, but my mother was the kind of person, and is, so she's still alive. Mm. She's a painter mm-hmm. and she's the kind of person that, You know, there were always stray people living at our house. Mm. So I remember this one, actually, they were from India, a man and his daughter, and she had come to Mexico for medical treatment. And my mother bumped into them on the street, and then mm. they lived with us for a whole year while the, <laughs> while the daughter had medical treatment. So that okay. was my mother's kind of activism. Oh, that's very <laughs> so nice. The, so the house was always full of stray people. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. And that, of course, gave you a, a sort of a, opened your view to other cultures and other kind of people. Yeah, but growing up in Mexico City, uh, we were very in touch with all kinds of cultures. I mean, mm-hmm. I went at the, in those days, the, the sort of one of the better schools was the British school. So that's the school I went to. Mm-hmm. And there were it was the school where many uh, embassies sent their children So there were people from all over the world. My first boyfriend was from Ethiopia, uh-huh. <laughs> so okay. and in Mexico City, and he was the son of the Ethiopian ambassador. So, you know, I was always exposed to people from all mm. over the world. And then, uh, then you went to the university and you studied to, literature. I went to New York University. Uh-huh. I actually did two degrees in English literature and anthropology. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, New York University. So you moved from Mexico yeah. at that time. Okay. Do you know of Rebecca Goldstein? I think she teaches at New York in, no, in I philosophy. Don't. No, no, I okay. don't know. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Uh, okay, so anthropology as well. That's mm-hmm. interesting. What what did that take you? I mean, what kind of anthropology studies did you work with? It's well, a bro- it's a broad field. It's I mean. a broad field, yeah. I mean, I worked mostly in cultural anthropology, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was and so, but I ended up not actually. I mean, even though I worked for a while at the Natural History Museum as an mm-hmm. in an internship capacity, and um, with Dr. Robert Carniero, who was an expert on the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truth is that I ended up immediately getting into publishing and then leaving publishing and writing. Mm-hmm. But the, what's more interesting about all of that is that uh, I was there in the early 80s. And so I have a book all about that time in New York City. So mm-hmm. Jean-Michel Basquiat was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I knew Keith Haring. I knew Madonna. Mm-hmm. And 
You can buy that book even in Sweden. <laughs> uh, in Swedish? Yeah, it's in Swedish. It's called <coughs> Widow Basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me think. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the r- same person, but hasn't there been a film about him where David Bowie plays his role? Yeah, that was uh, by Julian Schnabel did that film. Yeah. And David Bowie plays Basquiat. No. No? David Bowie pl- plays uh, Andy Warhol. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yes. Okay, yeah. I've seen it. Ah, okay. So that yeah. was an interesting time, obviously. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. So. Did you meet Andy Warhol as well? I did, many times. <laughs> he was the only person who was famous. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you knew Madonna before she got famous? Yeah, she was a bartender. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you still have contact? No. No, no, no. Okay. Okay, that's very interesting. Okay, so, but okay, let's talk a little bit about your writing. You, you have just published a book now in Swedish. I don't know the Swedish title, but the English title is... Gun Love. Yeah. And do you know the Swedish title? Gun Love. It's the same? It's the same. They decided to keep the same. Really? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Um, I have... That's really unusual with an English title. Mm-hmm. They do that sometimes in films, I know. But I haven't seen it on a book. They did it in Germany, too. Really? They kept it in English. Yeah. It's a very good title, obviously, in English. But, uh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, I have to think about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but uh, tell me, what is your new book about? Well, it's a novel. Mm. So it's about um, a mother and a daughter that grow up and live in a car mm-hmm. on the edge of a trailer park. And it's how uh, their life unfolds. So... I don't want to say too much about it, but mm. it's also about uh, gun violence mm. and about how guns get to Mexico. Because what uh-huh. a lot of people don't understand is that all the violence that we have in Mexico, which is tremendous, plus the violence in Central America, is fueled by this illegal gun trade. Mm-hmm. So about 20,000 guns cross every day illegally. And on the border of the United States with Mexico, on the U.S. side, there's over 8,000 gun shops. Wow. So it's really the effect of the Second Amendment mm-hmm. uh, on the rest of the world. So even though it's very much about the United States, um, it's also very much about how guns get to Mexico, which is not a topic at all, really, that we hear about much. No, no, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's interesting after this terrible terrorist attack in New Zealand they changed the gun laws very fast you know so they they've actually acted on that in New Zealand but uh, in America do you think there will ever be a change of the gun laws I mean in I just don't know what what it will take Mm. you know I think one of the reasons I wrote wrote this book is I mean usually I'm always writing about things that don't leave me alone Mm -hmm. you know and I think this whole thing about the guns it just it has so ruined Mexico, you know, which is a con- it's my country. And, uh, and I think it has really ruined the United States, too, in many ways. I mean, my, my sister, her children are growing up in New York City. Their librarian was killed uh-huh. outside the school. Mm-hmm. They have to have gun drills every month, mm-hmm. which are terrifying. And, uh, you know, after things like Sandy Hook or the horrible massacre at the music concert in Las Vegas... Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 a mystery. It's a mystery. Probably that it's some kind of 
people movement that would be needed. I mean, yes, it would be a people movement. I, I think yeah. so. Um, okay, so you you really bring up these very important issues of modern of society and the world today in your mm-hmm. novels, obviously. But it's also, as I understand it, a story of a family and their relations of violence. Well, it's. I mean, there's guns all over the place mm. as they as they are. So basically, it's it's the story. It's a coming of age story, mm-hmm. and uh, so it, the first part it takes place in Florida. Uh, this daughter, young daughter, and mother uh, living, young mother and daughter living in a car, and then what happens to the mother, and then mm-hmm. how she, how this young girl ends up in Mexico. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I must ask you, as I also work with authors, how how is your writing process? I mean, do you have a disciplined daily life? You go up and write for a couple of hours, or how do you? How is your process? Well, since I've been president of Penn, I'm not very disciplined <laughs> because I have so much work to do, and yeah. it, you really can't do it with half a heart. No, it takes all your heart. So um, I, I write a lot of speeches now, oh. and uh, have to read a lot of things. But I do I do work on poems, and uh, I just had poems published in Sweden. Really? In the literature magazine here. There's a poetry magazine. I can't remember mm, what it's called. No, I'm not sure. Mm. And um, s- anyway, so uh, basically my process is I'm very concentrated and very disciplined, mm-hmm. and I usually work very early in the morning. So I okay. get up with the sun okay. and then work for several hours, and then... The rest of the day, I'm free. Mm. I agree with you that your brain is the best in the more early morning. Mine is. Mine is the best. <laughs> yeah. I love to get my cup of coffee yeah. and the quiet and the mm. day begins. And also, I think I'm closer to my unconscious in a way. Mm-hmm. And I've That's noticed that, that as I mature as a writer, I'm more trusting of my unconscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I let that work more. Yeah, I see. I think as a younger writer, I was more trying to control everything. Mm. Although I still am the kind of writer that I will write 30 words and I will cut 50. Really? So I'm always like going backward in a way. I can. I, it's hard for me to, to build build the book. So I'll, it takes me a long time to write a book. Mm-hmm. How long did you work with this latest book? Well, at least about seven years. Really? Yeah. That mm-hmm. much? Oh. Yeah. I see. Um, and I also do a lot of research. I, mean, I, went, I went to the NRA twice. I interviewed victims of massacres. Mm-hmm. I went to the gun shows on the border. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about these, especially these last two books, the book about the stealing of little girls and this one, uh, even though there was tons of research, you don't see it in the novel. So I always think of these books kind of like icebergs. Mm. You know, what you see and what you read in the novel is the tip the t- yeah. of a, an enormous amount of research that doesn't mm. necessarily go into the book, which is always so hard because I could write sort of 20 books for all the research. Yeah, you know. I see. But I guess you do a lot of lecturing about your book and then you can talk about these the other parts, the knowledge. Do you do that? No, not so much. I mean, uh-huh. I've done some journalistic writing mm-hmm. about these subjects. I've written, you know, on the stealing of girls in Mexico, like for The Guardian, mm-hmm. and, I, and I wrote a, a long piece about called the Church of Gun about the the museum of the NRA and mm-hmm. some things on you know victims of massacres that have survived 
but uh, but no more more than anything I'll talk about the research when I talk about the book mm, okay I see okay if we go back to to Penn International what what are the major sort of projects you're working on right now what, what is the do you have any specific things specific projects right now in Penn well in Penn we have many projects mm. ongoing projects um, but one of the most important things is that we serve our centers even though all the centers are are independent mm. we're there to help them and support them with their civil society programs but Right now, for example, these next two years, one of the most important things is that Penn will be turning 100 years. Oh. So we're organizing the celebrations around uh, this date, and mm -hmm. this will be in 2021, mm -hmm. and it will be held at Oxford University. Mm. And so basically what I want is to, to, to not have sort of a literary festival and you know keynote speakers, no. I want it to be uh, a ceremony of testimony So we'll have people like Chandundar, and we'll have uh, Pamuk, and we'll have mm -hmm. talking about what, how Penn defended him when he exposed the genocide of the Armenians, yeah. for example. So it'll be a testimony of how Penn has worked in people's lives. And uh, so, you know, we're doing a lot of work toward that mm. right now. Oh, But other awesome. than that, you know, we, we have, you know, 10 cases before the European court. There, these are all Turkey, all cases from Turkey. Oh, yeah. um, we go on missions. Uh, we visit jails. I was just in, in Spain and visited two of the prisoners. Um, Authors in prison? Uh -huh. they're, well, they're, they're, uh, they work in, in, in um, sort of the cultural programs in mm -hmm. Spain, but they, they, were part of the, they, they are part of the Uh, independence movement of mm -hmm. Catalonia. And mm -hmm. of course, in Penn, as you know very well, we defend the right to say, not what's being said. Yeah. And so uh, I was just there um, in Barcelona visiting two of, two of the men in jail there. And I've been to visit the jail in Turkey, outside of Istanbul. We do a lot of that. And I mean, it, I don't know, it's complex. There's a lot of things that we do. Yeah. Um, No, but it's, it's I think one of the most important things that I have done personally as president is to place women in the center of the organization. Mm. So the first thing that I worked on was to change the charter, which used to say that in Penn we would do everything to combat hatreds of race, nationality, and class. Mm. And it's now all hatreds because, of course, gender was missing from the mm. list. And we introduced the word equality, which mm. was not in the – because in the 1920s nobody was thinking of equality – And then I've done the Women's Manifesto, which has been incredible because it's been—it's really a document that's transcended Penn. So uh, United Nations Women has taken it. Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, mm -hmm. has endorsed it. Uh, the Princess Nandi of the Zulu Royal House mm -hmm. of uh, uh, KwaZulu-Natal has translated it into Zulu and endorsed it. Even the Moomin characters in Finland, you know, these ca wonderful characters, they have yeah. endorsed the Women's Manifesto. And uh, um, I don't know, it's just really the International uh, Association of Publishers has endorsed it. So it's a document that's really left pen and uh, is in the world. Mm. So that's been a very important thing and important for the centers too to bring uh, the rights of women writers into their centers. 
So that's been a really big part of the yeah, Penn yeah. program. That's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the situation for women in many countries are getting worse, actually, right now. I mean, uh, be- because of the religious fundamentalism uh, around the world. So yeah, it's well, going the wrong way. It's really going the wrong way. And and I think, you know, one of the reasons that the Women's Manifesto uh, addresses this, and, and even like people like Darin Tatur and everything have just loved this, but what one of the things the Manifesto says is across the globe, culture, religion, and tradition are repeatedly valued above human rights and are used as arguments to encourage or defend harm against women and girls. Yeah. Yeah. And here's one for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 fascinating because and very sad because it seems like this sort of the whole enlightenment tradition seems to there's an anti-enlightenment trend right now. Exactly. Uh, uh, in as we talked about earlier, in so many ways, in so many aspects. How much do you think that? the secular viewpoint is sort of important to make this change or or, or, or should should or should it come from within the religions or should it do you understand what i mean or should we try to re- represent secularism to to make this change to the better yeah i think so and mm. i think i'm really glad that you say that it's sad because i think that one of the things that has happened with this document the reason it's had this kind of power is that it doesn't sound like human rights language, mm. and also it's a work of sorrow, mm. and it's not a work of anger. Mm. And I agree. I think it's very sad. It's uh, so yeah. I think I think it's part of everything we've been talking about. You know, anti-Semitism comes up, and the repression of women uh, arises as well. It's it's sort of part of the same uh, syndrome of what's happening. Mm. I like this formulation. Penn believes that the act of silence, silencing a person is to deny their existence. And that's that's very well formulated because that's exactly what it is. And it, then it continues addressing <laughs> the incredible sadness because it, then it says, humanity is both wanting and bereft without the full and free expression of women's creativity and knowledge. Exactly. And that's the thing. We are bereft. It is sad. It's really sad. Do you think that... You know, you mentioned India earlier. Mm. I have to tell you that I was just in India because Mm -hmm. we had our Congress there last year. Mm. And it was about all these issues of the, you know, repression of freedom of expression and the president's uh, desire to turn the country into a Hindi state and everything that's going on there. But, you know, the government released its figures. So these are government figures, not the figures of an NGO that 63 million women are missing in India. Unbelievable. That's a genocide. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the the second figure was that 21 million live in homes where they're not wanted. Mm. Oh, it's, 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 it's really, really crazy. And as it's I, really, really bad. As, uh, as I mentioned before we started the pod, that in, in Sweden, the news reporting is quite, it's quite little from India because it's all a focus on Islam and all these things now. I mean, when we talk about religious fundamentalism. Uh, but India is also um, having a strong growth in, in Hindu nationalism and, and fundamentalism. And, uh, and people it, have been killed in yeah, India because yeah. of this. Yeah. yeah, and a strong anti-science movement as well. Yeah. Uh, I know that there are Hindu nationalists who has 
publicly spoken about the Indian Asian tradition where the aircraft, the air, what do you call it, aeroplanes were invented in India 3,000 years ago, they say, and it was just reinvented in the West. I mean, that kind of hilarious yes. statements. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and of course, it's anti science, but it's also they're trying to sort of make the Indian race, so to speak, superior mm-hmm. to, to others. So it's. Well, notions of purity is always, you know, very dangerous. Yeah, exactly. You know. And uh, we hear very little about this in Swedish media reporting, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, well, we, we were just there and did a whole report on India. And the truth is that some of the writers we had there had already had terrible attacks on them, on yeah. them physically. And they had to be there, you know, with guards, bodyguards. Mm. And uh, we weren't even able to make our statement on the problems with freedom of expression and the rise of of intolerance and all these things we've been talking about until the day before we left. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. to strategically plan, not for our safety, but for the safety of those that are staying behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just um, end this discussion with uh, a look at in, into the future. Do you think that the development in the world will get worse before it gets better? Or, I mean, are you an optimist at all? Do you think it's only going to get worse? What do you think? What's your attitude? That's a hard question. Yes, I know. On this day of all days, when we just got the Mueller report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I have to be optimistic. Mm. Uh, It seems that uh, we are in a very difficult moment. And I feel that there's a lot of people standing up that maybe didn't used to stand up to try and get everyone back on track again. Mm. I hope so. You hope so. But do you think it's going to get worse before it before it becomes better? It seems that way. Mm. Because that's that's what I feel actually. Yeah. I'm also an optimist. I mean, otherwise you couldn't do yeah, what you I do, know. but but uh but I think it's going to be a few years, quite a few years, like 20 years or something yeah. getting worse before it gets better. That's what I think. I agree with you. Yeah. And that's uh, sad, of course, but we're optimists and that's good. In the end, <laughs> enlightenment going to be victorious. Okay, uh, Jennifer Clement, thank you so much for coming to this. Oh, thank po- you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you.